Gavin, um, God bless his heart, he has to be one of the worst education secretaries we have ever had since I can remember. Um, absolutely appalling uh, leadership. Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's critical friend. Welcome to episode five of the Rethinking Education podcast. Earlier today, I interviewed Ross McGill, aka Teacher Toolkit on Twitter and many other platforms. And at the start of our conversation, we talked about the current situation with regard to the announcement yesterday by the DfE that schools need to go back in a staggered way after the Christmas break, and that this was announced halfway through the penultimate day of what is surely the most difficult, challenging term that schools have had to face in living memory. And so I decided that we should probably release the first part of this conversation now because of how timely it is. I had a fantastic conversation with Ross, and that will be out in the fullness of time, to use that phrase, beloved of politicians. But for now, I hope that you enjoy our brief conversation about the current chaotic situation and indeed the chaotic year that the Department for Education has had. Ross McGill, welcome to the Rethinking Education podcast. Hello, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me, James, and hello to everyone listening. Indeed. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I know you're a busy man. So I thought that we need to start with the chaos that is unfolding at the moment at the DfE. Today is the Friday, the last Friday of half term in the uh, in December 2020. Yesterday, the DfE had a had a, a spectacular day, even by their standards where it was announced like halfway through the day that the schools would be coming back in a staggered way in the new year. And this was announced like, so in the morning, I think that you saw there was this incredible excruciating footage of the, the newly appointed permanent secretary at the DfE, who was in a, in a select committee, you know, being questioned on this. And she's just, I've sort of felt a bit sorry for her in a sense that like, she obviously had been hung out to dry. She didn't have any answers. She was like, well, I... well, she knew, but she didn't know, or maybe she actually didn't know at all. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's, it's just absolutely crazy. And I mean, it, the DfE has had a crazy year. Um, but just to share, I know that you shared a tweet, but just to sort of just to spell out some of the thinking. So uh, Caroline Spalding on Twitter said, just to summarise, on the day that the DfE encouraged schools to close, school leaders have discovered via the media that before schools return, they need to A, design, administer and implement daily COVID testing for pupils and staff on top of everything else that schools are already doing. B, to write, copy or post or upload a week's worth of work for most year groups. Never mind actually letting parents know that schools won't be open. And C, create a brand new timetable to staff sessions for key worker and vulnerable pupils, all whilst continuing to conduct track and chase. She ends by saying, if you're not angry, then you're not paying attention. And it's and it's really the timing of this that's just so awful, because it's like, this has been well, the... Go on. I think, you know, well, obviously the circumstances are a lot more extreme, but, you know, people that have been following the DfE and Ofsted, particularly through social media, uh, you know, for me, nearly 10 years plus now, um, they, you know, Ofsted used to publish guidance on Boxing Day, 
um, until the profession were up in arms through social media. And then that started to change. And the DfE started to get a little bit better. But throughout the entire pandemic, obviously, it's extenuating circumstances, but they have continued to test the waters or you wonder how the media find out before the general public. So there's leaks going somewhere. And, and, and as we said, just offline, it's often a litmus test for government advisors to just get a sense of um, how the general public uh, respond. But, you know, anything that you watch, you know, particularly on Twitter, you know, either politics or the occasional education um, tweet, uh, hashtag will trend. You know, I'm looking at uh, UK trends this morning, Nick Gibbs trending for probably some very obvious reasons that he's not actually telling the truth, <laughs> dare I say. Um, you know, for people that have worked in schools um, or people that haven't, I should say, um, it's school life is incredibly complex and very, very, um, very, very time consuming. You know, you and I are sitting on our chairs chatting about on a podcast. We don't have 30 kids around us distracting us from our work. And that's the reality for teachers, often without uh, sufficient funding, uh, being told to, you know, teach X, teach Y, teach Z, and now make kids use knives and forks and not come to school in nappies. Um, you know, there's a whole raft of stuff that um, schools are, you know, beyond the curriculum uh, expected to do. Uh, but the government don't seem to allow us to have this, you know, this world-class education rhetoric. Well, give us the capacity and the time to unlock our true potential. Um, but it just, you know, I, I get very frustrated. I'm sure a lot of other people do uh, as well. But if you, you turn to your right-wing press, we're, 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 I was going to swear there. I was going to say we're lazy bees. But um, you, you can, it, it's very frustrating. It sure is. And like you say, you know, there's another thread by Jonathan Mount Stevens talking about what he sees as an increasing strain of authoritarianism. So it's like a combination of ineptitude and authoritarianism where, you know, schools are being threatened with being sued if they take what they believe to be a moral decision about closing a couple of days early. Well, I, um, I read a paper just before the summer and it was analysing teacher autonomy, which is a focus for my doctorate degree. And it's very apparent that the Department for Education are steering teacher pedagogy from a distance. And if you compare England to all other OECD countries, we are, despite our new curriculum and our revised, you know, schemes of work, knowledge organisers and apparent autonomy, we are one of the worst um, countries for teacher autonomy. So, you know, at a ground level, I may be able to write my own scheme of work. Um, however, um, the, the, the research is essentially said that this accountability, which typically might have reached maybe GCSE teachers, year 11, has filtered right down to year five and six teachers and is now getting down to year two teachers with the key stage tests. And it probably even, even earlier when it comes to reception tests, uh, once all that data starts to filter through. So that's accountability and how you then teach pedagogically um, there's a great saying somewhere, you know, the kind of the exam boards, I guess, or the, how exams are reported filters down to, your, I guess, your pedagogical decisions. We, we all want to do certain things, but if it ultimately um, impacts on grades, kids' grades and our jobs, then essentially we end up teaching to the test. Yes. Yeah, 
you're right. And that, what's so bizarre about this increasing sort of like um, fine tuning and <clears throat> authoritarian strand, like you say, their their influence. They're talking about pedagogy, and it's it's just again, it's excruciating. Recently, the Labour new shadow minister was, you know, there was a there was a interview Kate where Green, she, yeah. yeah, where she was saying, oh, you know, I don't like all this teaching of facts. I, I'm like, I like group work. You're like, a that a that's ridiculous, and b it's not your it's not your business, and it's also not, it's not helpful and uh, you know uh, politics has a place it doesn't have the entire place within education i do think politicians can serve a purpose but you know teachers are experts group work works as does teaching in rows but, and and when we get people that are not experts standing up in positions of power in front of mass screen media and are saying xyz we'll abolish ofsted we don't think group group work or teaching facts whatever it is it's not helpful and it, it, it kind of widens the teaching profession again it pitches us against each other because we all like to teach in different ways different schools have different models um and i think it just fuels the the politics within education when it doesn't necessarily need to do so yeah yeah it does and what's what's Ironic, Jonathan Mount Stevens points out that that this is coming from a supposedly small state loving government. You know, Nick Gibb often talks about school autonomy and you know talks about contrasting government directives with associations of like minded people bound by a common purpose. And this is supposed to be a sort of the the phrase is the self improving school system. But the constant tinkering and what's fascinating, Jeff Barton made a good point where he said it's, it beggars belief that this announcement is being made now after the government spent the last few weeks refusing to contemplate the idea of remote learning in the week before Christmas as though that's somehow an abnegation of duty and they're suddenly imposing it in the week after Christmas. I've met, I've met a few uh, government advisors and, you know, broadly speaking, there are good people wanting to do the right thing. However, I also know that one or two are quite frustrated with what gets published outside the front door. You know, and I often think, you know, you know, Gavin Williamson, Nick Gibb, God bless them. Uh, you know, why, why, why does Nick not have the top job, I keep asking? And Gavin, um, God bless his heart, he has to be one of the worst education secretaries we have ever had since I can remember. Um, absolutely appalling uh, leadership. Um, you know, you've got a, you know, a right-wing government, a left-wing profession, uh, it elds with each other. Um, you know, Nick Gibbs seems to know all the answers, yet still fails to achieve that top position. Um, and then if we think about all the different people in the Department for Education, you know, one or two that have since left the, the kind of office and then say they didn't agree with X, Y, Z. Well, you know, obviously politicians make the final call. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's just not good enough. You know, um, you know this world-class education, um, you know, unlocking true potential, you know, are we trying to narrow um, inequality or, or widen it? And, you know, you look at comments from Jacob Rees-Mogg yesterday in Parliament about UNICEF. You know, I've worked with UNICEF myself for about five years now, and um, it's just absolutely appalling. But, you know, it's politics. It's politics and, and that's what happens. But I think, you know, bringing it back to the classroom, our teachers need support and, and you know, teaching's hard at the best of times. And, and I've certainly gone through one or two struggles in my career, but God help teacher, God help new teachers in the profession right now trying to get through this and God help our head teachers who may 
or may not have a supportive governing body, who may or may not have a supportive multi-academy trust. But, you know, on the whole, our schools are doing amazing jobs, our head teachers are doing the right things. Um, and I don't want to get into all the toxicity within the system uh, at a school level, but our, our, our government need to do more to support our schools. And, and you know, if, you know, pandemic and everything else, it's incredibly complex, but we do want our schools to be open. We do want our teachers to be safe. We do know that our kids are best served in schools. Uh, all the rhetoric about, you know, remote teaching and stuff like that. I think, I think what frustrates us more is all the opaqueness with, you know, funding and who's got the right answers and, and everything else like that. And I think that's probably what most people feel and have seen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just as a final point on this, I mean, with, with regards to this announcement yesterday, it just seems like this is a particularly bad one, which could have been so easily avoided by, you know, just talking about it a week earlier, because it comes at the end of what is surely the most challenging, harrowing, difficult term in living memory, some schools with you know more than fifty percent of their of their students off, some with more than fifty percent of their staff off, self isolating, people are on their knees, and just as they get in that final week of Christmas, and there's always a bit of jubilation, even in this term, that Christmas is around the corner, and kids are doing online nativity plays and all that stuff, and people are just starting to think, oh man, I can just finally breathe out, stagger to Friday, and sort of collapse into a heap. And then right on that penultimate day is when they deliver this this total body blow and teachers are, teachers and head teachers are going to have to spend half their Christmas sorting this out. And it's just unforgivable, really. And we're already looking at a potential massive downfall in the numbers of head teachers in post. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been like that throughout the whole pandemic, how they've led. You know, there's lots of research and, you know, making decisions. Even if I don't make a decision, if I inform you that I'm going to make a decision on X by Y, that at least alleviates a lot of stress. But, you know, leaving it to the last day of term, you know, and just assuming that teachers are going to work throughout their holidays is just, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of myths about teacher pay and holidays and all those types of things. Teachers don't get paid for the time they're not in school. Um, and... I also think of just how, you know, I've worked with a lot of schools in different countries throughout the whole pandemic, virtually at least. Um, and it's really interesting to compare how, you know, schools in Brazil or Vietnam or Hong Kong, uh, Dubai, Cyprus, all those places I've been working with. And what they say about, you know, I'm reminded of uh, what a school said in Vietnam. They've been really proud of their government and how they've led their schools. and. They're in remote learning, but they're quite happy with how they've reduced all the cases and how everyone's going about normal life. Uh, but compared to the reality of what we've been dealing with here, it's it's polar extremes. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it's incompetence at the highest level. Um, you know, these people are intelligent people. Um, they, they know what they're doing. So it's either a deliberate thing or they just do not have a clue what they're doing. Well, this is this is what I want to get to the heart of, and this is a, a sort of like a, a slightly wider conversation. I had a really interesting conversation recently with a former policy advisor from the DfE, and he was saying that there's been a real change in culture at the DfE, and this is predates the, to the current administration. He said that this was happening under the under Tony Blair, um, and he writes a, there's a chapter in the, the book of Flip the System UK. Um, and there's a bit that I think it's worth sharing with you, if I may. It's fascinating. This was under Blunkett. He said, one senior civil servant attended a meeting with Blunkett early in the new government. 
Blunkett wanted announcement that struggling schools would be able to disapply the national curriculum in order to help them improve. The official pointed out that some might argue that if the national curriculum was hindering those schools' performance, surely was the case for disciplining it everywhere. Similarly, there may be criticisms of a policy which removed the entitlement of some children to a broad and balanced curriculum. This was classic civil service advice, seeking to test policy against possible challenges, so as to either prepare for those challenges or to help shape better policy. Yet this was the new world. That civil servant was subsequently visited by an even more civil, senior civil servant and told, who was told that the minister found him obstructive and was instructed <laughs> to find a, another berth in a different department as quickly as possible. <laughs> and he said that this sort of this started to roll to roll out, that people didn't know, didn't want to be surrounded. You know, we've known about groupthink, this phenomenon since like the 1960s or 70s, at least, where if when you have lots of like minded people who are making decisions, you get really bad decision making because of weird group dynamics. We know this, that if you want to have good decision making, that you need to have a diversity of opinion around the table to really t stress test any new ideas. So because these things are going to affect lots of people's lives. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, it seems like this deliberation that used to happen within the DFE now happens out in the world where things get like this thing got leaked yesterday before it got announced. And it's increasingly the recent pattern has been that the DFE will leak something on a Friday night at like 11 o'clock. Goodness knows why that is. Mm -hmm. We have this debate over the weekend and then they either announce it or drop it in time for the Sunday mornings. Yeah, um, I, I've got I have, I've got a colleague at Cambridge where I'm doing my doctorate and his research is on accountability, school accountability. And, you know, you think about the national curriculum or I could be an academy and I can opt out of the national curriculum, yet I'm measured by kids doing certain exam uh, subjects at, in the EBAC or Progress 8. And then I'm ranked in a league table. Um, his research conclusion essentially said accountability hinders innovation in schools. Schools can do great things, but you know, what, what Blunkett said there or, or whatever else, you know, our school education policies often hinder what we're, what we're truly uh, capable of. And, you know, I always think about people in the DfE, are they truly happy working in their positions? Um, I, I know I would really struggle. I think about the times I've worked around a leadership table and yes, you know, group think versus diversity of opinion. And sometimes when there is at least a healthy debate and we all agree, well, I say we all agree with rolling out something, even if you disagree with it, at least the process has been discussed so that you have a good understanding. But um, I'd, I'd be very frustrated if I worked at the DfE and I saw a lot of things going out, regardless of politics. I think in terms of um, understanding what works, um, doing what's best for kids, teachers, schools, parents, um, it must be a real challenge, but it, it just seems that time and time again of recent times, there's a lot of things coming out that don't necessarily uh, make much of a difference. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, the, the other thing that's worth mentioning briefly is the the, the exam fiasco, the centre assessed grades fiasco in the summer, where they, they ended up flipping their policy anyway, so that everything that they were arguing against happening about grade inflation or so on happened even worse because they said you get your you get the exam grade unless it's lower than your predicted grade, in which case you get your predicted grade. So it created even more grade inflation than would have otherwise happened. And it sort of feels a bit like there's there's actually a bunch of geniuses in the DFE who are trying really hard to be as inept as they possibly can. It sort of feels like that. Like it, it, I can't see how they could be making more of a hash of this. But 
<laughs> I'll pause there because I always want this this podcast to be quite um, positive about the future, right? And so th- the whole idea is rethinking education and how we might do things differently. So with our solution-focused hat on, if we may, Ross, what do you think <laughs> we should be, uh, what do you want to be seeing different That's in, in, it's in terms of the DfE, in terms of this bit of the conversation? What would you like to see more, when you say that you want to see them supporting schools more, what would you like to see more of and what would you like to see less of? Um, I think what would happen, uh, what needs to happen first of all, um, you know, for pan- the, you know, outside of the pandemic is s- some decent funding to let schools have a bit more capacity. You know, if you think of just what schools have been asked to do for the first week back after Christmas, you know, test and trace and whatever else and training their staff, they've been given no extra funding or no extra headcount to do those things. So if you're a school struggling, school struggling to recruit or got a small leadership team, then maybe you're multitasking lots of different job descriptions because you can't fill a position or you don't have the the capacity to have another member of staff. And already you're going to be thinly stretched. Uh, So then to be asked to do all these things, you can see why you can't concentrate on many other aspects of school life. You know, most schools are getting on with pretty much the same things all the time, curriculum, managing behavior, dealing with exclusions, managing special needs, teaching and learning. All schools face the same challenges. Some schools are good at X compared to Y. And uh, what we need to do is share, you know, we're a relationship-based profession. Um, We work well when we can celebrate good practice, share good practice, but that obviously has taken a backseat in normal circumstances. I think what I've seen, at least uh, in my observations and bits of research, is that through the COVID pandemic, a lot of schools or teachers have turned to social media to be able to share best practice during this time. But all of this could be easily fixed by the government with a bit more uh, adequate notice, time uh, and funding. And I know time and funding seem to be the solution to most things, but um, it really does make a difference in an educational setting. So funding is probably the number one uh, issue for me. Um, two, teacher training. Um, it's always hit and miss in many schools. It is getting better, and I'm trying to move away outside of the Twitter bubble. Because if you're a teacher on Twitter, you're going to think most teacher training or your own conferences or virtual stuff that's going on at the moment is all rosy, but it's not the reality for many teachers. So I think the quality of teacher professional development has to get better. I don't think five inset days a year cuts it personally. I certainly don't think it's a good model for uh, retrieval or retrieval practice for kids. It's the same for teachers. Teachers need time to practice, need time to share. Um, So those would be the two key things for me that kind of funding and professional development. And I I think that that works through the pandemic and outside of it. Yeah, okay. Funding, time, timing, certainly. A little bit of foresight wouldn't go amiss. Um, and teacher training, absolutely. And I think that, yeah, I, I would just add one thing, which would be this this idea of deliberation. You know, like, like I really would love to see ministers surrounding themselves with, with people who aren't necessarily, you know, their underlings and yes men, but who are going to robustly test their ideas before they get out of the door. And this is something that I do a lot with with young people. You just come up with a set of ground rules and and with implementation teams. I've been working with implementation teams recently where you get a cross-sectional slice through the organization and they all, so, you know, teacher, senior leaders, teaching assistants, 
Senko, you know, early career teachers, experienced teachers, you get them all looking at this problem from multiple perspectives. And you say around this table, anything goes. If you've got any inconvenient information, share it. Like it's really important, especially if it's inconvenient. And that this is a safe place in which we can share these ideas without fear of repercussion, regardless of, you know, like whether you're going to contradict something that a senior leader just said, because we need to have these robust decisions. Yeah, I think we're a long way off that. Uh, personally, um, you know, if I think of one or two DFE advisors that I've worked with, you know, they, they kind of filter with your ideas or you have the occasional meeting or an email exchange, but it's always at a distance. And if they're doing that with me, I suspect they're also doing it with many other people, many other voices, and then they take that to the table and present them to ministers. And then, as you quoted from Flip the System, they're either heard or shunned, and then they'll make the decision anyway. Um, you know, do we all, I, I wouldn't want to be a yes man, would you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very strange time to be living through. Um, yeah, but, you know, my my greatest respect to all teachers in all circumstances, you know, we're not even out of the thick of it yet. We've got exams to come um, and the implications of that going forward for the next few years, you know, leak table reporting is going to ripple through. And then we've got the Ofsted inspections. You know, the two things that have the biggest impact on schools, teacher life, pupils and parents, uh, they're, they're very complicated. I actually don't know what the ideal solution is. Um, I have got al alternative hopes, I suppose, for a, a, an exam system, but it's certainly not the one that's happening right now. Yeah, well, there's that organisation Rethinking Assessment that are doing some some fascinating work at the moment, and it's much needed. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, at the moment, we're saying that exams are going ahead next year. and Gavin Williamson was was on the radio the other day saying this is fair and they were going well how is it fair and he's like because exams are the fairest way to test kids and they're like yeah but like some schools have had like hardly any children self-isolating and some of them have had like let's say six weeks. It highlights that Gavin Williamson has no understanding of of, of memory and recall you know teachers are the experts I think you know the recent explosion of you know neuroscience across the profession is good it's certainly we've got a long way to go um, I'm reading quite a lot of it, uh, uh, books and lectures on uh, understanding the brain, and I'm learning some incredible stuff. And I wish I'd known that as a teacher, hence professional development. But I now know a bit more about how we learn. And if it's taken me, you know, almost three decades to get to this point, then I'm sorry, Gavin, who hasn't spent a day in a classroom, <laughs> um, it doesn't really know how is the best way to learn or how is the best way to test it. Um, you know, what works um, works in different contexts. You know, that one size fits all. Well, it only fits one person. So it is, it's complicated. You know, you've got 22, 25,000 schools across England. You're, you're never going to get a best fit. So I'm not saying we should kind of, you know, defragmatize the entire system, but we do need a, a, a better solution. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Okay, thank you for that. I think we've uh, probably laid that one to rest. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one, uh, but best wishes to all head teachers that have done amazing work and teachers throughout this pandemic. Um, amazing work. Time is a measure of change. We don't have much time. Time is a measure of change.